Good morning, friends. What are you preaching this week? Good question. Let's see if we can answer it. The church began on the day of Pentecost, just a few weeks after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus had said to his followers in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, Don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you what he promised. Remember, I have told you about this before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I'm sure the disciples had no idea about what to expect with this gift of the Holy Spirit stuff. I mean, they'd been given some kind of an idea about God's plan for his people, but at that point they didn't really understand the concept of the church and its future. And so they just did what Jesus asked them to do. They hung around in Jerusalem. There was a reason for this, because right before Jesus was ascended into heaven, he told his followers in Matthew 28, 19 to 20, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This command to make disciples of all nations was something of a mission impossible. The disciples did not have the means to go into all the world. They didn't have the resources or the manpower or even a plan. But as always, God had a plan. Pentecost was a big religious feast in which tens of thousands of people traveled to Jerusalem each spring to make a special offering at the temple. On this day, there were people from all over the world in the city. The disciples were waiting together in an upper room when suddenly all heaven broke loose. The sound of a mighty rushing wind filled the air, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began speaking in other languages, languages that they had never learned, but that could be understood by others. Here's how the Bible tells it. Godly Jews from many nations were living in Jerusalem at that time. When they heard this sound, they came running to see what it was all about, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were beside themselves with wonder. How how can this be, they said. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking the languages of the lands where we were born. Now Peter stood up and addressed the crowd. It was the very first sermon in the history of the church. And after he preached, 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus. Let me just read you the final words of his sermon from Acts chapter 2. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ with the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. As many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. And then, verse 41, all who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Today we're going to take a look at the message of the early church. How they communicated with their culture gives us some insight into how we should communicate with our culture. We're going to look at Peter's sermon in order to get an idea about what kind of sermons we should preach. Now, some of you might ask, you know, hold it, isn't that your job? I mean, why are you telling us about what kind of sermons uh, you should preach? Well, it's because I'm not the only one that preaches. As a matter of fact, many of you preach far more than I do. In your daily conversations, you tell others more about your faith than I, as a preacher, ever will. 
The message of the church is much more than what the preacher says from the pulpit on Sunday morning. I've been to churches in which the pastor said we want to welcome all of our visitors, but the message of the church was, but we're going to ignore you while you're here. I've been to churches where the pastor said the Christian life is full of joy, but the church's message and attitudes and actions toward one another was anything but joyful. I've been to churches where the pastor said salvation is a free gift of God, but the church's message is, in spite of that, we're going to make you work for it. Every church proclaims a message to its community, and every church preaches a message to their friends and family and co-workers and neighbors, and that message is far louder than any sermon the pastor will ever preach. <clears throat> so today, I want us to think about our collective sermon to whatever city you live in. I mean, what is your message, and how can you make it more like the message of the early church? As we look at the final passage in this sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, we discover three areas calling for our attention, three areas that we need to emphasize in our message to our community. First of all, this probably shouldn't surprise you, we need to talk about Jesus. Peter summarizes the life of Jesus, connecting him to Old Testament prophecies. He says in verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, Peter's making a point. Jesus was not just a teacher or a rabbi or a prophet. He was the Messiah. He's God's chosen one. He is Lord. He is the Christ. I was visiting a church once, long ago, and I've kind of made an interesting observation. The pastor preached about 35, 40 minutes and did not mention Jesus. He talked about God and King David and Paul, but he did not mention Jesus. And I, I kind of looked through the order of worship at the songs we'd sung, and none of them mentioned Jesus. We sang about you with the capital Y and how good you are and how good you've made my life. But surprisingly, we didn't mention the name of Jesus. We sang about God, and we sang about singing and dancing and be happy, but we didn't sing the name of Jesus. And I carefully read through the rest of the bulletin. After all, I said this sermon was about 35 minutes long. And there was nothing about Jesus. In fact, the best I can tell, his name was spoken that morning only as a tagline in the prayers, in the name of Jesus, amen. Now, let me, let me hasten to add that this was not a liberal, new age, you know, weird church. These folks were conservative, conservative, traditional, evangelical, and yet we went through an entire worship without mentioning Jesus' name. I also want to add that I believe this was a temporary and possibly a one-time oversight on the part of this church's leadership, but... What an oversight. So we need to make sure that we keep the name of Jesus front and center in all that we do. We need to make sure that we're talking about him. He's the Lord. This is his church, and we're here to glorify his name. I attended a worship service in India a number of years ago, and my translator didn't show up, so I didn't understand a word until he finally arrived, except one. During the worship, we sang a chorus that consisted only of one word, Jesus. We lifted our hands and sang his name again and again, and I knew that we were in his presence. I knew that he was there among us. It was the name of Jesus that united us. Now, there are several derogatory terms that have been bestowed upon believers over the year, and I still hear a couple of them occasionally. One I like and one I don't like. I don't like being called a religious fanatic or a religious nut, but I don't mind being called a Jesus freak. 
Do you see the difference? I mean, if people think we're over the top, I don't want them to think I'm over the top about religious rules and regulations. I want them to know that I'm over the top about the King of Kings and the Lord of hosts. I'm, I'm over the top about Jesus. After Peter preached about Jesus, what happened? Verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, Brothers, what shall we do? Wow, they were pierced to the heart. See, that's what happens when you talk about Jesus. We we can moralize until we're blue in the face. We can preach against all that's wrong in the world, all that's wrong with movies or music and all those terrible reality-based TV shows and dishonest politicians and on and on. And our words will often fall on deaf ears. But when people hear us exalt the name of Jesus, they'll be pierced to the heart. Now, this is the story that we need to tell. This Jesus, whom we crucified with our sins, is both Lord and Christ. He's Lord and he's the Messiah. Jesus himself said in John fourteen thirty two, And if I, being lifted up from this earth, will draw all men to myself. Now, Jesus was speaking literally about his crucifixion, but I think he was also teaching a principle. Let's lift the name of Jesus higher. Why? Because when we proclaim the name of Jesus, people are pierced to the heart. So what kind of sermon shall we preach? Let's make sure we talk about Jesus. Second, we need to talk about salvation. I find it interesting when I hear non-Christians talk about what, from their perspective, is the message of the church. I mean, their ideas are so frequently off the mark. I mean, many people think our message is basically, don't do this or don't do that. Many think a typical sermon can be summarized with, you're a sinner and you're going to hell. And many people think that Christians can best be defined by what we are against. Now, believers know that this isn't true, at least not for the overwhelming majority of churches and believers. However, it doesn't change the fact that the unchurched often doesn't know, for the most part, what we're about and where we stand. We need to take responsibility for making sure that they know. After Peter preached the gospel of Jesus, verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? When it comes to the question of knowing God, I believe that there are multitudes of people still asking, What shall we do? And the key word here is do, as in present tense, as in right now. Do you know what I find frustrating? When you have a problem and you go to someone for counsel and their advice consists of telling you what you should have done before you had the problem. <clears throat> well, at that point, we already know what we should have done. It's pretty obvious. The question is, where do we go from here? What shall we do now? Many non-believers think our message is only about sin, only about the serious stuff people do and how wrong it is and how much they're going to burn for it. But that's not our message at all. Now, let me make something perfectly clear. We are all sinners, and sin is bad. It breaks the heart of God. It destroys your life. But that's not the good news. The good news is that Jesus, remember that? We're going to preach the name of Jesus, that Jesus has the power to change your life. I don't want us to be the kind of church that talks only about sin, but I think we ought to be the kind of church that speaks loud and clear about the message of salvation. When the people said to Peter, what what must we do? He said in verse 38, Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter preached repentance, and so should we. But let's clarify a couple of things. 
Repent doesn't mean stop having fun. It doesn't mean stop destroying your it means stop destroying your life. I mean that's what sin does. It destroys. It does nothing but bring misery into your life and the lives of those around you. For example, let's look at this so called little sin gossip. If you gossip, give some thought to the misery it causes. It damages reputations, it ruins relationships, it destroys trust, it wrecks your credibility, and regardless of what you think, it causes people to despise you. When you gossip, you hurt yourself and you hurt others. It's the same with any sin in the book. I mean, sin never ends well. It only causes destruction. When you sin, you hurt yourself and other people. So we don't take sin lightly because sin can only cause pain. So when we say repent, we're not saying stop having fun, because in the long run, sin isn't much fun at all. We're saying stop ruining your life and stop hurting those around you. Our message, however, is about much more than turning away from sin. It's about turning towards Jesus. Repentance is an about face. You were going one direction, and now you're going another. Peter preached repentance, and so do we. And the complete message of repentance is stop destroying your life and start moving in God's direction. Peter also talked about obedience, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. See, baptism, the first step of obedience in the Christian life. Peter also talks about the Holy Spirit, and you're going to receive that gift of the Holy Spirit. During his time on earth, Jesus told his followers much about the Holy Spirit. Most recently, he had promised that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. In his teaching, he made it clear that the Holy Spirit is what makes the difference in the Christian life. We need to make sure that we're preaching this message as well. God gives you the Holy Spirit so that you will have power to live from day to day. We need to preach the complete story of salvation. We need to challenge people to start moving God's direction, to walk in obedience and live by that Holy Spirit power. And third, we need to talk about the promises of God. Verse 39, For the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. Friends, the gospel message is a message of hope. This salvation, Peter says, is for families. It's for you and your children. I mean, Jesus wants to restore your family to a right relationship with God, to a right relationship with each other. We see another example of this in Acts 16, when Paul and Silas presented the gospel message to the Philippian jailer, and that night he was saved along with his entire family. We need to make certain we proclaim this message. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only hope for you and for your entire family. And also notice that Peter said, and for all who are far off. At that time, this phrase referred to the Gentiles. Gentiles that had been led to believe that since they were not Jewish by birth, they were far away from God and therefore had to work especially hard to be right with him. They'd been led to believe that because of who their fathers were, they were less than special in God's eyes. Peter now is standing in front of them and telling them something completely different. He said, this good news is for you. Those of you who think you are far away from God, his promises are for you. You, sh you can be saved. Now, today, there are people in our communities who believe that they are too far from God to ever be right with him. They think they've gone too far and done too many terrible things to be forgiven. It simply is not true. The gospel of Jesus is for you, no matter how far from God you consider yourself to be. 
Jesus came into the world to die on the cross for your sins. You can be saved. You can be forgiven. You can be set free from the past. And you can live a new life by the power of the Holy Spirit. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, the Christ, is for you. And that's the message we must tell the world. You don't have to live in despair because Jesus offers you the hope of a new life in him. Now, Sunday by Sunday, I I do my best to be faithful to the biblical narrative. I do my best to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, the Christ, as the leaders of the early church proclaimed it. But I can't do it all by myself. I mean, we have to be a team. We have to work together because you and I, we preach every day of the week, 24 hours a day. So what is your message? Well, let's talk about Jesus. Why? Because when people hear about Jesus, they are pierced to the heart. Let's talk about salvation. Why? Because the salvation that is found in Jesus answers the questions that people are asking. And let's talk about God's promises. Why? Because his promises give hope to those who feel they are beyond hope. You're scheduled to preach this week, friends. We all are. In fact, let's make it our best sermon ever. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.